0: Uh, Colossians, we are uh, in our second week of the study, Dig In. As I mentioned to you last week, we want to try and memorize the theme verses over our 10-week study. And so we're going to, each Sunday, we're going to uh, recite uh, chapter 1, verses 15 through 18. We're going to do that together. And each week, we're going to take away a few words. So the way we're going to do it this morning is we're going to go through it one time with the entire script. Uh, And then Peggy Dimitri has been very kind to remove some words that'll be the obvious words. So it'll be easy this morning, might get a little tougher uh, as the weeks go on. But if you would stand with me, uh, we're going to, uh, we're going to do our memory work for the morning. Let's say this together, read this together. Talking about Jesus, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him, all things were created in heaven and on earth visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions, rulers or authorities. All things were created through Him and for Him. And He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. And He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead." Then in everything he might be preeminent. So I hope you looked at those words carefully, because now you're gonna, you're gonna have to remember a couple of them. Here we go. Let's go again. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were made in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through Him and by Him. And He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. And He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything He might be preeminent. Outstanding. Thanks. You can take a seat. In uh, Steven Spielberg's compelling movie, Saving Private Ryan, Uh, There's a scene towards the end of the movie where uh, the the platoon of men who have come to to find uh, James Francis Ryan and and get him out of harm's Way, uh, several of them uh, have been shot and wounded or killed, and as uh, the movie is coming to an end, the captain who has led the platoon has also uh, been wounded, and he looks up at Private Ryan, this man for whom his platoon has given their collective lives and he says to him, earn this. You earn this. What was he saying? What we saying is you've received a gift. Your life has been spared at the cost of these lives that were given for you. How do you live in response to that kind of gift? How do you live in in a way that's worthy of someone giving their life for you? That's what Spielberg What was about in that particular part of the movie, he was emphasizing uh, the glory of the the sacrifice now was being passed on to the one who had been spared. And that man then bore a responsibility for the rest of his life to honor that sacrifice. Colossians chapter 1, this morning I'm going to read verses 1 through 14, you can follow along in your Bible or on the screen. Of this you have heard before in the word of truth, the gospel, which has come to you as indeed the whole world, it is bearing fruit and growing as it is also as it also does among you since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth. Just as you learned it from uh, Paphras, our beloved fellow servant, he is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love in the spirit. giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints and light. He has delivered us from the dominion of darkness and has transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. This is the reading of God's holy and perfect word to him alone. Be glory. Let's pray together. Father, when we think of the grace and the mercy that you have given us through the Lord Jesus Through his sacrifice, through his suffering and his death on the cross on our behalf for our sake, we are humbled. We are astonished. When we look at our lives with all honesty and all candor, we see the brokenness. We see the darkness of our own hearts, much less the darkness of the world around us. And in the depths of our soul, Lord, we all really do know we need a Savior. Whether we acknowledge it or not, whether we pause long enough to reflect on the condition of our hearts and our minds. Father, we come to this place all needing the same thing. So, Father, we pray that the Savior would speak to us this morning. We pray that he would teach us. We pray that he would reveal himself to us, perhaps for the first time, uh, maybe for the thousandth time, but we need his word in our lives. We need the truth to speak to us. We don't need to hear what the preacher has to say. He's just a man. like anybody else. His word isn't any more important than any other person's, but the word of God, truth that abides forever, the one thing in the in the in, in the universe that actually has the power to change our hearts, our disposition, our attitudes—that is what we need. It is that for which we pray in Christ's name, Amen. Our sermon in a sentence this morning is this: The deeper our faith in Jesus, the stronger our commitment to Him and our witness for Him. We're look at both of those things this morning. The deeper our faith in Jesus, the stronger our commitment to him and our witness for him. Uh, Under the heading of of what does it mean to live a life that's worthy of Jesus? What is worthy of Jesus? And what it comes down to it, uh, we're really going to center in on one word, and that word is faith. That's a word that Paul uses several times here in this passage. We're going to look at Paul's observation of the faith of the Christians in Colossia. Then we're going to look at how he challenges them to go deeper in that faith. And then finally, we're going to consider how Paul prays for them to have a, a greater faith, the more significant faith. So first of all, Paul's observation of their faith. And uh, I think we may have mentioned last week, I can't remember if I did or not. She wasn't crying when she was with me. I'm not sure what the... <clears throat> the yeah, there you go. Come on, Lucy. We'll, we'll preach it together, sister. Paul, is, uh, I, uh, we may have mentioned this last week, Paul did not establish the church at Colossae. It was not one of the, you read the book of Acts and he's going to this city and starting a church and that city and starting a church and then another city and starting a church. He never went to Colossae. He simply heard of their faith. They, their reputation is known to him. And so his observation based on his, on, uh, on what's known to him is that the Colossian Christians have a reputation for loving Jesus and for loving others. So in verses three and four, we always thank God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ when we pray for you, since we have heard of your, and then two things, your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints. Paul is correctly understanding that love for others is a natural outcome of the grace of Jesus. Let me say that again. Paul is understanding that love for others is a natural outcome, or you could say a supernatural outcome. When the Holy Spirit is present in my life, when the Word of God is present in my life supernaturally, then the natural disposition I have is to have the heart of God, which is to care for others. And Paul says, I won't put this verse on the screen, but in verse 8, he's talking about Epaphras. And he says, he has made known to us your love in the Spirit. Paul attributes, he he thanks the Spirit for the love that's been generated in their hearts. But he says, you know, your buddy Epaphras, the guy, the guy that's kind of your pastor, who's come and visited us and has told us all about you, he's really bragging about you guys saying, so, you know, they really love the Lord Jesus. And I, and I know they love the Lord Jesus because I watch the way they love one another, the way they care for one another, they want, the way they serve one another. Part of the reason that, that Green Tree Community Church has a bit of a reputation in our community and even beyond our community to you know, kind of our, our little EPC Presbyterian world uh, around the United States is because I do a little bit of traveling and I do a little bit of work in church planting and I talk to other pastors and I always brag about you guys. I always say positive things about you guys. And that's not because 100% of the time I always think those positive things, probably 96% of the time I do, but I, I tell people all the time, I'm the pastor of the best church in America, and it's not because of the pastor, it's, it's because of what God's doing there. We're not the biggest, we're not the shiniest. We, 16, 17 years before we decided to build a building, you know, we, some people could say we're maybe a little bit slower than others, actually, but I watch the Word of God dig into our hearts, and I watch what, what the reaction is, and then what the response is, and the love, and the care. doesn't mean we're perfect. It doesn't mean that we should pat ourselves on the back and say, job well done. Our pastor brags about us. But it is important to know that as we, as we live and move in this world, that people see us in some manner as people who have, who have received the love of Jesus and are loving him, and they see that as we love others that should spur us on to an even deeper faith. That should not cause us to kind of sit back and put our feet up and say, it's all done. And so that's where Paul goes with the conversation. He, he does a quick observation. He says, you know, I, I know about your faith and, and it sounds wonderful, but then he immediately says, so let's, let's keep going in this direction. Let's grow even deeper. And he challenges them to deepen their faith. And that's where we're actually gonna spend the bulk of our time this morning. Paul writes, I want you to continue on this pathway. I want you to continue with this firm commitment, and he uses these words, to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord Jesus. He says, so since the day we heard about you, we haven't ceased to pray for you. We're asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. Now, we have to be careful here, and we have to make sure we define terms accurately and appropriately according to Scripture. The first thing we need to understand about this word worthy is this. Paul is talking about this post-salvation. He isn't saying, now you walk in a manner worthy, and God will notice that you're worthy, and then he'll love you, and then he may decide to let you into heaven. Paul's not talking about a work salvation. Go back to verse 3. Since we heard about your, excuse me, verse 4. Since we heard about your faith in Christ Jesus. Paul knows they've already placed their faith in Christ. Paul knows that they're standing under the grace of Christ and his work on the cross for them and the indwelling of the Holy Spirit that comes into your heart, into the life of every believer when you put your faith to Christ. So Paul's not saying work hard to try to be worthy. Paul is saying we need to understand that what faith produces in our lives, the impact that it has on our lives, is an act of love for Jesus. And that's what it means to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. Now, we're going to pick it apart a little bit more than that, but that's the fundamental understanding. That as we see and experience the love that God has for us, as our faith grows, as the impact of His Word and His Holy Spirit deepen in our lives, the response is an active, thoughtful, prayerful love of Jesus, making Him Lord of our lives so that we then walk in a manner worthy. Now, we don't walk in a manner worthy 100% of the time. We don't preach perfectionism at Green Tree Community Church because it's not in the Bible. There's nowhere in the Bible where Scripture says before you get to heaven, if you work hard enough, you can can be perfect. Now, we also know that God calls us to move away from sin, and we'll see that later on in the book of Colossians, and, and move towards a lifestyle that glorifies the Lord Jesus. But we're not talking about perfectionism we're talking about growth in our love for Christ. So, so how, do you, how does Paul kind of stack up this term worthy? I want to give you four observations. The first one is this. Paul says, "Walk in a manner worthy of the Lord means that first we need to, to know his word. So if you go back a little bit early in verses five and six, Paul says, of this you have heard before in the word of truth, the Gospel." which has come to you, as indeed the whole world is coming to the whole world, bearing fruit, it also does so among you since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth. Paul says you need to know the truth. You need to know the word of God. Now, the apostle John in his gospels calls Jesus the, the manifestation of the word of God in his earthly ministry. But we're, we're post-Jesus earthly ministry. We're now living in the, in the day in the generation of the church, just as Paul was in his generation. We're, we're still in that age. We're in the church age. And the way we know God is we know his word, that we grow in our knowledge of his word, that we have an intellectual understanding and not just an emotional, warm feeling toward Jesus you, it, it, you know, the, the phrase, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. That's enough to create faith in your life and in my life. But that isn't enough to sustain and deepen faith in our life. Otherwise, God would not have given us all of Scripture to learn and to understand, in order that it might be applied to our lives. So we're going to have a little fun with this this week. If you if you look at the, if you have a bulletin, you look at the very bottom, under the scriptures, you'll see a link uh, to our website, and it's up here on the on the screen as well. We want to take a Jesus quiz this week. We want to find out what everybody knows or maybe doesn't know about Jesus. Now there's only eight questions in this quiz. And by the way, when you take the quiz and you're all done, you'll be like, now where's, where do I click to find out whether I, I got the answers right or not, right? <laughs> you got to come back next week to get the answers, right? Okay. That, that's kind of a good marketing plan, isn't it? Uh, actually, what we're going to do is, is when, you, when you get back next Sunday is we're actually going to have uh, Tom Warners creating a handout that has some detailed teaching on those eight different questions. So not only will you, will you know what the answers were, but you can go deeper perhaps in your understanding of the Lord Jesus. So do us a favor. Uh, it take you three minutes. Take the quiz uh, this week. And if you can't wait till Sunday, you're just dying, you can shoot me an email and, and maybe I'll, 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 I'll check your work for you. But the notion here is that if we're going to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, we, we've got to have some head knowledge. We have to understand what that means. We have to worship God daily with our minds by knowing him. That's foundational for walking in a manner worthy of the Lord. The second thing Paul says, to walk in a manner worthy of the word is not only to know his word, but also to know his will. Look at at verse 9. We heard about you. We haven't ceased to pray for you. Asking what? That you may be filled with the knowledge of his will. The knowledge of His will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding... Probably the question I get most as a pastor in one-on-one conversations is something along the lines of, "Pastor, I've got this decision I've got to make. Tom, I'm not sure about. Should I take this job or should I take that job? Or Tom, I I really think I'm in love with this young woman. I, I think I want to ask her to marry me, but I'm but I'm not quite positive. Or I I need to know how to handle a situation in my marriage. Or I'm dealing with something at work and I just need to know God's will. Could you just?" could you just give it to me? And those are moments where the, the pastor looks at you with a smile on his face and, and, he, and he's being very kind. He's being very thoughtful. He's trying to look like he knows something. Inside, he's really, really scared <laughs> because now you're asking a pretty important question. What is the will of God? And yet Paul says our prayer is that you would be filled with the knowledge of his will through spiritual wisdom. In other words, spiritual wisdom is simply knowledge applied in a way that glorifies God. But I would say this, if you look at Scripture carefully, if you're a student of Scripture, you can find all kinds of truth there about God's will for your work. You can find all kinds of truth in Scripture about God's will for the way you engage in your marriage. You find all kinds of teaching for how your family should live, or if you're single, how you should live as a a single person, as a follower of Jesus. Much of the will of God is written for us right here on the pages of Scripture. And so for us to understand that and apply it to our lives begins to answer questions. I'll give you just a really simple, practical example of this in the corporate life of Green Tree. We're sitting in a brand new building, right? How did we get here? How did that decision-making process kind of bump along until, you know, last October we moved in the doors? And I don't have time to tell you that entire process, but I can tell you it began with prayer. And I can tell you it was fortified with a study of God's word and and with looking around us and saying, what exactly does God have for his church in this world? And, And how do we best follow God as a spiritual family in this community. And there came a day where collectively the elders of this church said, it's time to put our roots down. Now you can't go into the Bible and find a place where it says, Green Tree Community Church elders, thou shalt put their roots down. You're not going to find that verse in the Bible, but what you will find is verse after verse calling the people of God to be a witness for Jesus in their generation and to tell the next generation and the next generation about the glory of God. As we thought about that and prayed about that and studied God's word, it became apparent that it was time for us to find a place to put down roots. The practical application of the wisdom and the knowledge of God is to know his will. To know his will is to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord Jesus. To know his word, to know his will, but also, Paul says, I want you to know his work. Look at verse 10 if you would. So walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing the knowledge of God. And we'll come to that last part in just a second. Worthy uh, of the Lord means to know his work. So said there's a quiz online this week and there is, we're going to do a totally different quiz for the next couple minutes. You're going to see uh, an image on the screen, name the artist, just call it out when you see it. Let's go to the first one. Norman Rockwell, that was a pretty easy one. Second one, Vincent van Gogh, Starry Night. All right, y'all are two for two. That's pretty good. We, we got we got one more here. Yes, art art history major right over here. <laughs> George Caleb Bingham, who was from from Missouri, right. A lot of his paintings are on are on the river. So he threw in a little bit a little bit tougher one. So some of us know our artwork a little better than some of the rest of us, right? How, how did uh, how did that answer just kind of jump right out? Probably because she studied a little bit. Probably because she saw a, a, a display of that and spent some time in an army. But she did something to, to learn that. And Paul says if we're going to walk in a manner that's worthy, we need to know the work of God. So think about that. Uh, go, could you back up one slide to Van Gogh? So uh, Tom Werner, I think, put this up in, a, in one of his sermons in the last year or two. I think, it w- I think it was Tom that used it. But Van Gogh is very distinctive. I mean, you just you, you can't really miss him. And I had a hard time picking which one of his, his portraits I wanted, or pictures I wanted to put up here as pieces because there's so many of them that are just, I mean, they just kind of capture your imagination. and You kind of tilt your head different ways, but you just go, that's Van Gogh. Jesus' work is very, very distinctive. It's very knowable. Jesus's work is full of grace. It's full of compassion. It's full of mercy. It's full of a longing that that people who are lost and in darkness and broken by the weight of their own sin and the brokenness of this world would actually come to him for redemption. The work of Jesus, when you see it, couldn't be more clear I'm going to read a a few verses for you out of chapter three. I'm going to skip ahead just a bit. I'm not going to put them on the screen. Listen to Paul talking about kind of the descriptives of the work of God when he's telling the Colossians kind of what their lives uh, should reflect. He says, put on that. In other words, you're, you're putting on somebody else's covering that they're providing for you. What are you putting on? You're putting on what God is giving you. You're putting on God's character. As God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. I don't know why it is, but we as Christians sometimes are the worst forgivers in the the world. We can't quite see our way clear. To show compassion to others, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. Over all these things, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, which indeed you are called in one body. Be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell richly in you teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. There's a, there, we're going to spend some time in that passage. Those works of God are very easy to spot. You can see them in your own life and you can certainly see them in the lives of others. And if you're ever not sure, you're about to open your mouth and say something, you've just written out an email and you're about to hit the send button, you're about to interact with a colleague or with a teacher or with a student or with with a spouse or with a child and you're not sure, you're about to make a big decision and you're not sure if it's glorifying to God, just answer this question. If I do this, I'm going to do this in the name of Jesus. I'm going to send this hateful email in the name of Jesus. It might stop your finger right before you hit the send button I'm about to explain to my spouse where that why they're completely wrong and i'm completely right and they better get it because i've just about Had enough of them in the name of jesus It's an impossibility Right Knowing the work of god is not hard friends It's being willing to apply it to our lives. There's there's the challenge There's the opportunity to be willing to walk in a manner worthy of Jesus is my hardest struggle. I'd much rather plow ahead in my own strength and my own wisdom. I got so mad at Cindy last uh, Sunday night after preaching last week. And, and we had a terrible, awful 45 second interchange. Now, it's because we've been married 34 years, it doesn't last any longer than that anymore. And then 10 minutes, we had not even 10 minutes, so five minutes we had made up. But I was so ashamed my actions, my attitude, knowing what I'm going to stand up here and preach to you guys this Sunday knowing that I have a hard time just doing it in my own life. But it isn't hard to spot. I didn't sit there for a minute and think, man, the way I just talked to Cindy, that was in the name of Jesus. Yeah, I'm pretty sure it was. No. I knew immediately my hypocrisy, my sin, and my guilt before the Lord. The work of Jesus is clear to see and Paul says, if you're going to walk in a manner worthy, you're going to know his word, you're going to know his will, you're going to know his work. And then lastly, you're going to know the father. Let's come back to verse 10 for just a second. Paul says, ultimately, at the end of the day, what's happening? We are increasing in the knowledge of God. And when Paul uses the, that name, God, he means the father, which is really cool because it means that the father is not standoffish. God is not trying to hold you at arm's length going, I'm kind of mysterious. You can't really, can't really know very much about me. Now, God is mysterious. And there's a lot of things we can't know about the God this side of heaven, but there's a ton of stuff we can. I mean, this is a big book. And there's a whole lot of information here about the God who created you and me and the God who is saving us through the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul says, "Put all that together. Know his word, know his will, know his work, know the Father." And you will begin to understand what it means to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord Jesus. And let me make, make this point before we finish up with the third point. Knowing does not mean just intellectually understanding, right? It wasn't enough for me just to know last Sunday night I had messed up with Cindy, right? Knowing means living it out. It's not just a comprehension of facts. It's a combination of knowing and active following. So when I when I know what I should be doing, it means that I therefore am going to actively seek to live in that manner by the grace of God. Paul says that's what it means to go deeper in your faith, to live in a manner worthy of the Lord. And so therefore, what does he do? To that end, he prays that God will strengthen them in every way. May you be strengthened with all power, according to his glorious might, for all endurance and patience with joy. Boy, that's a, that's a tremendous verse. we could going to spend an entire sermon just on that. But Paul prays that they'd be strengthened in every way. Think of how you need to be strengthened spiritually this morning. Think about what it may be that you're struggling with today. Maybe you're, you're, you're sad and you're brokenhearted over, you know, a sanctity of life Sunday, but maybe you lost a loved one recently and, and, and life doesn't feel all that great to you. Maybe you're facing a, a difficult business situation. Maybe you're in a spot in your in your marriage or in your family that um, you really just need some strength. And Paul says, "I'm praying that God would strengthen you with all power in every way." He doesn't say so you have an easy exit and life goes simply, but so that you can what? So that you can endure, so that you can have patience. Life is a challenge, friends. If you haven't looked around lately, it's a tough world to live in. There's a lot of wonderful things, a lot of glorious things about the world, but the world's also a sinful and, and broken place. And we need strength and we need endurance. But, but who wants to go through life without joy? Who wants to go through life saying, I'm gritting my teeth and I'm going to make it, but man, I'm pretty miserable the whole, every step of the way. Paul says, when you have God's presence in your life, when this power begins to go deep into your soul, You'll be strengthened in every way, which would allow you even to experience joy in the moment. Paul understands that God's power is the only way for us to live in a manner worthy of Christ. It's not our strength, it's his living in us. And so he wraps up by doing what Paul prays fully confident of God's love and care for them. Look at the last few verses. And we're giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the adherence of the saints. God's the one who saved you. You haven't saved yourself. God saved you. He's delivered us from the dominion of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sin. Paul prays fully confident in God's love and care for the Colossians. He says, look at this God to whom you're praying. Look at what he's already done for you in Christ. How much more will he now love you and care for you until that day that you're home with him? So I, I start out the sermon by uh, mentioning Spielberg's movie, Saving Private Ryan. And the captain is saying to, to young uh, James Ryan, you earned this. Uh, if you saw the movie, you know how it ends. If you haven't seen the movie, it's been out for like 12 years. So I'm sorry if I'm giving you, you know, you're like, oh, I was going to go home and watch it today. Thanks. You ruined the movie for me. Um, try not to do that. I messed up last year with Justified's ending and sent something to a friend. I, but this one's been out a while. At the end of the movie now, uh, the older James Francis Ryan is standing at the uh, cemetery in Normandy and he's standing at the, at the grave marker of that captain who had died, you know, whatever it was, 40 something years before, and he's, and, and, and Ryan's now an old man, and he's just, you know, he's just weeping, thinking about what happened, and his wife comes up, because he's about to kind of fall down, and she hold, holds him up, and he looks at her, and says, tell me I've been a good man. Tell me I've been a good man, and she says, you've been the best. You, you've been amazing, and that is, yeah, I mean, they really wipe you out with this. Then the grandkids come running up, and you're just, well, oh, you're just boo and, he, you know, even me, a guy that doesn't cry very much, um, <laughs> If you're new, this happens on a fairly regular basis. (laughs) But what was he saying? He was saying, tell me that I acted appropriately based on the sacrifice that was given for me. I think that's a fair question, brothers and sisters. I think it's fair for us to say, how will we respond to the grace that was the gift of God in Christ Jesus? How will his love transform our lives. Not so that we'll be perfect people, not so we'll have every answer, but so that our hearts will be humble and thankful, filled with grace that's been given to us, that we would walk in a manner worthy of him. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you for uh, Paul's first words in this letter to the Christians in Colossia. I thank you that he immediately takes us to the Lord Jesus. He, he encourages them by saying, hey, I've heard about you and I've heard great things. But then he says, by the way, there's, you're not home yet. There's a ways to go. and let, Let's go together. Let's follow Jesus. Father, I thank you for birthing Green Tree Community Church. I thank you for giving us now, a, after 17 years, a home. But Lord, we're not done yet. It's a long way to go. We think about the brokenness of this world. We think about... In our own community, in our own city. Think about celebrating Dr. King's life tomorrow. We think about all the, all the racial divide there still is in our community and how Green Tree can make a difference there. A long way to go. Father, we think about marriages that struggle. We think about people, next door neighbors. Think about folks in our own congregation who are facing difficult circumstances. There's a long way to go. So, Father, we pray that we would take that journey in your power, and in your strength, that we would know your word, understanding your will, recognizing your work, knowing the Father, in order that that we would be in relationship with you, in love and in thankfulness, but also, Father, that you would use us to make a difference in this world, that others would know Jesus. We pray in his name. Amen.